Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Non-Contact Time, a podcast about all things educational with Kath and Hannah. I'm Kath. I'm Hannah. Welcome to the show. So Hannah, what's on the agenda today? Today in data, we're going to speak about the pay freeze for all public sector workers. In teaching and learning, we're going to speak to Pure Wellbeing Arts, and they're going to explain all the lovely things that they have on offer. In Pupils Causing Concern, we're going to hear your funny stories about weird things that teachers have had to say in the classroom. And in any other business, we're going to talk to you about some future episodes and what's coming up next year. So let's get on with the podcast. In data, we're going to talk about the recently announced pay freeze. So, Kath, you've been researching a little bit into this. What have you found out? Well, I was actually approached um, this week to do an interview about the pay freeze and kind of my opinions on the the proposed pay freeze as it was at the time. And I just really don't get it. And I know that sounds like so different to the way we normally research, but I cannot believe that after everything that we've been through as educators, the solution to an economic crisis is to say to essential workers, to um, people in the public sector, I'm not talking about NHS, I'm talking about everyone else in the public sector. Thank you for all your hard work. Your reward for that is nothing. So the suggestion is that they freeze the pay of public sector workers outside of the NHS for the next three years to help the economy recover. The first thing I want to say in terms of this is no one in education is sitting here saying that the NHS do not deserve a pay rise because honestly, we could not have got through all of this without the amazing NHS staff and absolutely they should be a priority to make sure that their pay is secure and that people receive the pay rise that they deserve in line with inflation. However, If we think about our jobs as educators, and I imagine it's very, very similar across the country, many of us are now doing two jobs. We are teaching students in person and we are teaching students in line. And often we're doing that in tandem. So at the moment, a lot of us are doing two jobs. Our workloads have increased. I know for myself, my workloads increased because of the amount of editing of videos I've had to do because The technology I have access to at my school is lacking, is the best way to put it. Um, And for me, I have to do things in chunks. I can only record for five minutes at a time, which means if I need to do any kind of extended demonstration, I have to plan my time. I have to stop at five minutes. I have to save the files in a new place. I then can continue recording. So I can't do continuous recording and then I have to sit down and edit. Then I put sound over the top and then I can publish. And for me, that's taking me a huge amount of time on top of my planning, my marking, um, my admin, my normal managerial roles, things like standardizing, all of those things. So it must, I'm sure it's not just me, but it feels like a massive slap in the face that we've now been told that we're going to have this pay freeze. I think it's also 
really it's really annoyed me that the government has tried to sell it as something different to austerity so when austerity measures when it were in place it was seven years that education didn't receive a pay rise but it was because of austerity there's been many educators who've tried to ask the government is it going to be like austerity and they've said no but a pay freeze feels very much like austerity um, the other thing they've said is that they're going to put the money that isn't going to our pay rises back into the public services but they haven't actually explained how that's going to happen and i know that a lot of educators have been they felt let down by what the government is doing with funding and resourcing we were promised laptops and then the budget was cut and we were told that there weren't going to be as many as we first thought we were told that we'd have money to go towards students who are vulnerable and then that money was cut we were told there was going to be resources available so that students wouldn't go hungry over half term and then it all became controversial that money disappeared there was all the campaigns and then all of a sudden they u-turned but it feels like there's a lot of promises and they make a lot of like statements grand sweeping statements about things that they're going to do to improve educators lives and it's still not happening and we're not seeing that so i do feel that there should be some remuneration for educators who have kept this economy running by making sure students are in school so that parents can work. What are we getting back for that? So what are you thinking, Hannah? From your comment about the U-turns, I found this article um, from the Department of Education and it was published in the on the 21st of July, 2020, so a few months ago. And the headline is, Teachers Set for Biggest Pay Rise in 15 Years. Education Secretary accepts all recommendations to award teachers the largest pay increase in a generation with new teachers to receive 5.5% boost in salary. And I think considering that was, you know, a few months ago yeah. to now you turn on that, particularly after all the hard work, particularly now after working a lot harder because there's a lot more to the job than there was in March this year. And it's not just teachers. It's, it's as if we are the you know the public purse that they can dip in and out of when they've messed up their own finances so we know that track and trace has been a farce we know that hs2 costs a lot more money than it should have done we know that brexit has been a massive problem and it's costing a lot of money why are the public sector workers on the brunt you know facing the brunt of this i understand that people get made redundant and it's a, you know it's a really bad time for workers in the private sector but why is public money being used to bail out big businesses who sometimes don't pay their fair share into the system when they should have contingency funds in place i know the money has to come from somewhere but it says i read another article british mps have just received their eighth pay rise in the last decade so the £2,000 pay boost comes after the government began to pull back on its public sector pay cap. Pay rise for MPs with 2.7% has been approved and will come into place on April 1st. So if, if all public sector workers are having their pay frozen, except for NHS workers, why, why are the MPs and, and, and other public sector workers who are arguably paid a lot more than teachers why are they not having their pay frozen? And if we're all in this together, like they keep saying, why are they not demonstrating that through finances? I know you've mentioned, Kath, um, to me before this recording, that a few Labour MPs have said that they're going to donate their pay rise to other companies and charities and things like that. And I think that's brilliant. But why should they have to do that? That pay rise is out of tax money. That should go back into the economy and back into the services that have propped up the UK since March. So it's interesting because I think um, a lot of people that don't work in education don't really realise the impact of budget restrictions on the education sector. So we haven't, we've had our budgets cut as schools and you can go on, I think it's um, School Watch. You can type in and find out how much money per per student you your school has. And then you can actually see how much that money that how much money has dwindled over time um, because we're getting less and less and less into our schools. So we're not really getting that much money into our schools to actually buy more resources and make sure that we have an excellent provision for our students. So the impact and the follow on from that is that a lot of teachers have things like their CPD taken away. Also educators then buy resources 
for their students so that the students have things. So it has this massive knock-on effect. Even though the future looks a little bleak for us teachers, I guess we can always think about making sure that our students are educated enough that in the future, they look after us teachers and they create a better future for all of us. In teaching and learning, we are talking to Pure Wellbeing Arts and they're going to tell you how you can get in touch with them and use some of their programs. Um, they're wonderful ladies, so have a listen. Describe teaching to you. Okay, so I've done it in five words, if that's okay. Um, I Yeah, I heard it on one of your other podcasts and I liked it, so I've gone with that. So um, five words to sum up teaching for me are empowering, challenging, adapting, Supporting, I put supporting stroke counselling because as a drama teacher, I found I did become a, a counsellor to a lot of students um, and eye-opening as well. Brilliant. And Bruce, same question, what's teaching to you? I think it's all about enabling students to learn new skills or develop their current skills. Oh, brilliant. Sweet. Very concise. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> and for you, Lou, what's the best type of student to teach? Ah, okay. So again, five words. Uh, I've got resilient, reflective, hardworking, passionate, and funny, because who doesn't like to have a laugh with some of your students? And I genuinely don't think it's about, you know, my, the perfect student to teach isn't about necessarily the most naturally gifted or most academic. It's the ones that try the hardest and want to better themselves that really, really stick with you and you really feel passionate about back. So... That's so yeah, true. Ruth, so same question to you. What's the best type of student to teach? Well, I mostly teach um, art, so I love it when a student comes with their own ideas. Love that. <laughs> um, Lou, what's your classroom pet peeve? Oh, it has to be when they can't sit on the floor still. So in drama, we don't have tables and desks uh, and chairs and they just cannot physically sit on the floor without trying to do the worm or spinning around on their bum or, yeah, or just generally being daft. And another thing, when I say, come on, guys, right, come and sit in a circle. Literally no idea what a circle is <laughs> or how to create one as a group. <laughs> they are very frustrating <laughs> moments. <laughs> I bet there's a lot of drama teachers that totally empathise with you on yeah. that one. <laughs> I think it's also such a shock these days because when we were at school, I feel like we sat on the floor or did things like away from your desk a bit mm -hmm. more. But now sitting on the floor, it's like, but but why can't I sit on my chair? Why, yeah. But we've got to sit at a desk all the time. <laughs> it comes as a bit of a shock. Absolutely. <laughs> What do you do to look after your mental health after the after a really difficult day? So my oh two things, absolute favourite two things. One of them is reading. I absolutely love reading. Ideally in the bath. Not sure if I'm okay to say that, but <laughs> lying in the bath with a good book is my absolute favourite thing. Um, and if I get chance, obviously not so much at the moment, but if I get chance, just live theatre, I will go and watch everything and anything. I'll go and see comedians, also live music, just... Being in that moment is so relaxing and so good for the mind, I think, so good. So any time that I can do that, that'd be wonderful. And so I've done a lot of um, watching stuff, you know, National Theatre put a lot of stuff out and yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, lots of YouTubing things and it's been brilliant, but yeah, looking forward to getting back to live theatre now. <laughs> Same question to you, Ruth. Um, so what do you do to look after your mental health or unwind at the end of a difficult day? I love doing art, so I tend to do art without a plan, so it's a lot more playful and intuitive. So I don't have an idea I'm going to paint exactly that because that just is quite stressful, really. So instead, I like playing around with colour and texture and layering and patterns. At the end of it, I might have a masterpiece, but I might not. And it just doesn't get seen, but it doesn't matter. It's all about the process, which is so important for me. And that's what I find really relaxing. Other times I don't have the space or the time to get all the paints out and um, clear all the kids' stuff away before I get all my stuff out. You know, practically, it doesn't always happen. But if I just need that, just need to unwind, nature is what really um, helps me relax. So I'll go out for a walk. Not a very long walk. I'm not a big exerciser, but I just kind of 
slowly walk around and I'm kind of like, oh, what birds are in the sky? Oh, what's, what's happening in there? What's that noise over there? And oh, there's a lovely conker on the floor. And so it's kind of almost like experiencing nature with all my senses. Um, and because I'm so absorbed in those ways, that kind of chatter, that worry, that constant, you know, um, yeah, the worry in your mind, it just silences it because you're not thinking about it. You can't because you're so involved in nature out there. It's lovely. I bet you bring like loads of things home to draw as well because I know conquer season for me it's like oh I should take out a bag so I can get some conkers and then we can go draw them next week at school <laughs> the leaves as well it's just like oh, look yeah. all the different colors and the shapes and... it's a great time of year for that at the moment <laughs> um so Lou what's one thing you'd like to change about education this is not going to be an original answer at all, but it is going to be the relentless focus on results and to hit the top of those league tables. And I just think, I just don't think it's good for anyone. Because I don't think that people necessarily, outside of education, necessarily understand the impact of mental health on students who are high achieving and they put so much pressure on themselves or if you just have students who are struggling and vulnerable and then they have this pressure put on them that's so artificial to get these results that are based on something from key stage two in maths and english so it's just based on a test and it gives them an average i don't think that people get that that has a huge impact on a young person's mental health absolutely absolutely and i I, I, we're probably going to cover this a little bit later on, but I, I really feel if you have that good grounding in well-being and good mental health and also the outlets to go and talk to people within the school environment, um, then once that, that sort of that grounding is there, then everything else fits into place and slots into place. If you feel comfortable in who you are, I know that's hard for anybody to say. I'm not pretending that's an easy thing to be. Very few people are like that. But, you know, if that's something that is focused on and given real, real importance, then everything else comes with it. And people want to achieve and they want to do well and they want to be supported in their academic life. Um, but if you ignore all of those underlying issues, then, you know, it's not going to build competent and courageous and empath empathic people. So we need to start from the bottom and build it up and it will all slot into place. It just takes a bit of work on the ground. So. I love that. I love the idea of also building courage in these students because we talk about them being resilient and for them to be resilient, they have to be able to take risks safely. And then when they feel safe to take those risks, then they can be create courageous. Um, so I like that word when we're talking about students' mental health. I think that's a really good point. Thanks, Lou. Ruth, what would you like to change about education? So the arts frustratingly can be seen as a bit of like an extra it's not as important as maths, English, science, but the arts can develop so many skills like communication, teamwork, creativity, problem solving, great for relaxation. I could go on and I think that just, it isn't recognized for all those wonderful things that you can learn without realizing you're learning them. I totally agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think um, Hannah and I talk about it so often, all the skills that we are, we have to teach as part of an art subject um, because it's just kind of, you can't come up with good ideas without problem solving or experimentation or communication. And um, then when it feels like it's an add-on, you're like, but we're also doing so much more than just colouring something in or, um, you know, getting up and playing a game or playing a nice instrument or a nice song. So um, I totally agree with you, Ruth. Um, Lou, you had a point you wanted to say? Sorry, I don't know, Kath and Hannah, if you've ever noticed this, if you've ever had CPD days um, where the focus is very much on how to make a more active environment in your classroom and how, you know, how to use teamwork more effectively in your classroom and how to be more creative in your classroom. And as an art subject, and I hope this doesn't come across in any way as arrogant because it isn't, it's just part and parcel of what we teach. But as an art subject, you're often sitting there going, but I do that all the time. That is literally my classroom. <laughs> so it's it's funny, isn't it? How these subjects, as Ruth has quite rightly said, are very much pushed to the side, yet the skills that they want in other classrooms are inherent in what we do. 
And, and the minute you walk into an arts classroom, whatever art that is, you see it and it's so obvious and it's so easy to pick up on. But yet we're pushed. It's, it's hard, isn't it? It's, yeah, I do feel. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because for us, it's not a gimmick. It's just what we do every day. <laughs> yeah, it's not just shoved in there. It just is. <laughs> I think that's something we don't think about as teachers, isn't it? How actually the life skills that a subject like an art subject can teach are so important, not just in school, because the amount of studies I've looked at to do with um, improved progress of students who take an extra art subject, it's not just about improving results, it's about improving them for as a human being so that when they get older and they actually get a job or they're out in the in wider society, they're able to use those skills effectively. And the, if their parents aren't able to teach it to them, where are they going to get that information from? How are they going to learn how to do that? I totally agree on that one. I was going to make that same point about, you know, it's not just when they're at school and performing and getting the getting the results. It's actually on into the workplace. Um, the creative subjects give so much to um, future workplaces, like I said, about the communication and, and that sort of, you know, the the importance of being able to problem solve. If you're kind of always fed it and this is how you've got to do it. You, you can't think outside the box which is actually what you know so many employers want and and the, you know the arts just make you have to do that because you can't follow that pro forma you know it makes you be creative and think of different ways of doing things and um, exercise that muscle really so they are so important so important do you want to describe what pure well-being arts is all about for everybody who's listening we're all about empowering teachers and we want them to feel confident to promote their students' well-being. Um, and we do this by providing um, engaging online art and drama workshops um, through plans and videos. And the main thing is we want to save teachers valuable time. Louise, do you want to sort of go into about how we how it came about? <laughs> how it came about. So yeah, we actually met Ruth and I actually met about five years ago now, wasn't it, when I first moved to North Allerton? And we met at a children's group because we both got young children and since then became very firm friends and have had so many conversations about our personal passion for the arts, what it's done for us and what we believe it can do for other people. So you know, when the pandemic came about, we actually started to talk again about the impact that this has and is having and is going to continue having on children's health and well-being and actually we decided that with our personal with our backgrounds um, and our knowledge of the arts and what we've done sort of as well as the arts so for example I hope you don't mind me saying Ruth but Ruth um, is a former children's occupational therapist so she has a huge amount of in, um, understanding and knowledge of therapy and using art to support those, that journey we thought actually we'd really like to put our experiences together um, and and there we go that's how pure well-being arts began that's brilliant <laughs> and we've done the entire thing through lockdown so it's all been other than the few moments when we have been able to meet up or desperately needed to meet up for various things to create to create things and put stuff together we've um it's been all over whatsapp and zoom and messages technology <laughs> brilliant messages technology can be brilliant yes yeah wow so what made you choose art and drama to support well-being then well, like we've said uh, we really believe in the power of the arts um but this kind of has come from a personal experience of like us as kids growing up and and loving the arts so for me from a young age i've always created and done lots of things like that but um, as a teenager I found art was a really good way of expressing myself without words and I often didn't show anyone the art but the fact that I was actually doing it I was processing so much I I didn't realize I was doing it but thinking back now about it I'm like wow yeah when I think about what I created it, it was it was so powerful for me um, and in my late teens I had two back operations because I got curvature of the spine um, and art definitely helped me through that big style because it was it was really hard and there was so much going on inside that I just couldn't express with words yet it just came out which was important but it came out in the art um, and then really after that because of my passion with with art but also wanted to help people and, and recognize you know to be able to connect with art in that kind of way um, I did an occupational therapy degree um, and I just loved 
when I was learning about it, how the arts can be used therapeutically to enable people, um, enable rehabilitation through for their physical and mental um, health issues. So kind of put my personal passion and my professional knowledge together and you've got one half of pure wellbeing arts. <laughs> Um, so the other half of pure wellbeing arts obviously comes from a drama point of view, I guess. Um, I think I said before that actually I was a very quiet, quite a, a, a very shy uh, student at school. I had a lovely group of friends, but never really put myself out there or was ever very good at communicating sort of how I was feeling and, and dealing with maybe any anxieties that I had. And when I got to secondary school, um, I decided that I would take drama. I was encouraged a little bit by some very good teachers and my parents to take drama because maybe it would actually help me to sort of come out my shell a little bit. And I very quickly realized, and I had a very good drama teacher as well, that actually it wasn't about acting, which is what I, I guess I feared. I didn't feel I needed the acting side of things, though I have since loved it when I've been doing it in further education but it was actually all about being given a safe space to explore um, I would use different characters and situations to express my anxiety or experiences that I was having in my own personal life rather than it having to be about me and personal to me so it really helped me to grow in confidence and actually that love for the therapeutic side of drama spilled into my A-levels and then into my degree and when I finished university, I, I got to a point where I realized that actually what I wanted, my passion was to give that same experience to other young people. So after a couple of years of working, I did a secondary drama uh, PGCE. Um, and yeah, then sort of there followed 10 years plus of teaching in secondary schools. And I love it because drama is all about playing and exploring and growing in confidence. Um, you know, supporting each other, teamwork, empathy, learning about other people and other situations. And we really thought uh, through our conversations that actually art and drama, well, all of the arts, but obviously from our backgrounds, art and drama really complement each other as well. You've kind of got the practical application and the play of the drama, but you've also got the reflective and experimental side of the visual arts. And we approach our workshops and all the projects and smaller workshops that we do from a real process perspective. So Ruth said that, you know, she used art as a real therapy and she didn't often show people the outcome of her art, but that didn't matter because it was the process. And that's what we want to encourage and really inspire students to sort of understand. So there are no right or wrong answers. And the idea is actually that students just create and explore and express themselves with confidence and curiosity. So that's where pure wellbeing came from and sort of our ethos behind it is very much from personal experience. So there's a lot of passion that goes into this. It's so interesting that you talk about the differences between art and drama, even though they generate the same outcome or a similar outcome, because Kath and I have spoken many times about a lot of the students that she teaches will express a lot of their anxieties or a lot of their worries and other um thoughts through art whereas I get a lot of the students who they grow in confidence because it's a perform music's obviously a performance subject um quite ma the majority of the time in key stage three so they're expressing themselves in a different way and you kind of culture and nurture a different side to every student and there might be students that both you know they might love music and drama both the same but they'll express themselves so differently in both subjects and I find that really really interesting I don't know whether you've had the same experiences yeah yeah that makes complete sense and it's yeah they've just where well, we've been working uh, sorry writing our workshops and putting the plans together and things everything is just I mean we do work together as a very good team anyway and it helps that we're very good friends but everything's just really worked hasn't it Ruth it's just all complemented each other and it's been relatively easy to do it because we have an understanding of how it worked for us so yeah I mean the first that the main uh, workshop that we we put together it was amazing we you know we obviously had the the remit and and, and knew what we wanted to do um but really we we wrote our bits separately brought them together to kind of you know make them sync and everything and then we were like oh hang on a moment they already do <laughs> was it like you read mine did you you know it was just how how did that happen that's so cool so um yeah it is beautiful how they both do marry up so well um 
but yet like you say it's different ways that students can express themselves so if they are more into the arts that's fine or if the art scares them well okay then you've got drama side you know it's not um you know yeah you kind of everyone's so different aren't they so it's really great that you can you've got that diversity really within the arts to be able to express yourself which is really important but you can pick whatever you like really <laughs> that's great I like that that you've got a variety as well so students can kind of aim towards whichever specialism or whatever they're interested in or whatever they want to develop that sounds really great so what kind of projects do you run and which age group age groups do you cater for um, a main project at the moment just one big project which is for key stage one and key stage two and um, specifically focusing on children's well-being like we've talked about so much already um, and it obviously incorporates visual art and drama that goes without saying <laughs> um, and it's basically it the activities that we've designed are all for engaging children they're really exciting and fun um, and they're also encouraging children to express them themselves and their feelings um, and we also include elements of relaxation as well, some real practical um, examples of how to do it, and they actually do them as well. So this workshop, it consists of six different workshops. It all They all link into each other. It's about exploring, expressing feelings, but there's different themes within them. Um, and that all together adds up to over 10 hours of teaching time. But you can break it into a two-hour lesson or a one-hour lesson. You know, they are very... Um, yeah easily manipulated as it were into into what time you have really because I know it's you don't always have two hours just to devote to well-being and art let's face it so yeah it can be split um, and basically all the planning's been done for you so we've put together these um, pdf workshop plans um, really detailed with differentiation and everything we've also got explanation videos so me and Lou talk you through elements of it that you might not be quite a hundred percent about if you're not a big drama person or a big art person we've got a bit of detail there to give you confidence and then we've also produced breathing videos which you can breathing technique visit videos um which you can put on in front of your class and it's um of one of us going through the technique and the, and the students do it at the same time as us so that's the main project um, we're also doing a regular Wellbeing Wednesday video, and this is on our social media channels. Um, and these are basically short videos of us just talking to you about how you can um, do 10 minute wellbeing activities. So they can be done with your whole class, or if people run children's groups, they're great for that as well. Um, again, they're all about wellbeing, they incorporate art and they incorporate drama. So we're doing that um, as a as a weekly thing and it just gives a bit of a taster as well about what we're about um so there's that one and then in the in the planning process um that's our next thing that we're going to be doing um our shorter workshop plans so you know some people might not want to want all the six workshop big project so we're going to do smaller one hour workshop plans that you can buy as individual one hour workshops again all about drama um art promoting well-being um and it's for the whole class you know it's all it's really it's a lot about kind of group work reflection um bringing the class together um and we're always about all the projects that we're doing are always about empowering teachers and just just to let you know as well we've created a one hour freebie so if you go to our website and you put in your um email address it'll then send you um through email this one hour workshop plan, which is through a PDF download. Um, and yeah, unfortunately it has been going into people's junk mail and spam, which is really frustrating. So when you put your details in, know that we, it, it has come into your email. Just remember to check in your spam and your junk basically. But that's a great resource again, free resource that you can, you can use straight away in your class. Sounds brilliant. So while you were talking then, Ruth, about all these plans that you've done for teachers to help them with improving well-being and, you know, incorporating the arts into lessons in Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2, the plan sounds so comprehensive. And I know from teaching music in primary schools before, I used to be let out and I used to go to the local primary schools and teach some lessons. They were so grateful for just the 
the fact that they didn't have to plan anything, they didn't have to resource anything. And it just sounds like a great idea and a great initiative at the moment for teachers, particularly, you know, now we've got COVID and things are all crazy and everybody's massively busy. So in those plans, is that does that include everything kind of step by step? And then you've got the videos that help teachers and kind of upskill them in that area if that's what they want to look at. Yeah, so um, each plan, um, it, it gives you sort of like a rough estimate of how long it's going to take. Obviously, it does depend on classes and, and pupils um, and it's got all the material lists you need. Um, but with the art side of things, it's not anything specialist. You know, it's it's pen, paper, crayons, um, watercolours, but any kind of paint. So it's not anything you know, specialist in that. It's hopefully what people will already have in their classroom. Um, and then, yeah, it's broken down into um, mostly it's sort of like a chunk of, of the drama activities and then the art or the other way around. Um, and it will give you sort of like, right, so this is what you do first and here's some discussion points and this is what you do next and here's some discussion points. Here's the roundup discussion point at the end. Um, and like I say, they do sort of quite naturally break you know after an hour anyway you know you could just deliver the drama you could just deliver the art you, or you could do it as a big session all together um and you've got yeah and then they, they both link um yeah and then the videos it's more um the videos are just sort of like us talking about some of the more specific so um some of the sort of terminology that like louise would use with her um drama and still images if you're like oh what's a still image well she'll explain it all when she demos it so it's useful that you can watch those videos if you want to or if you're happy that those plans are you know clear enough that's absolutely fine it's just like a extra um and then yeah the actual breathing exercise videos are literally you just put it on the whiteboard and let the kids follow so yeah i hope that's yeah that's, <laughs> yeah that's brilliant I think for a lot of teachers because you have um in primary school the structure where you've got subject specialists don't you and I've spoken to many subject specialists who are subject specialists in music but only because they like to sing karaoke at the weekend <laughs> or maybe because they've expressed a bit of an interest in you know they might play the piano when they were five so I've had a lot of over the years many primary school teachers saying I'm in I'm doing this I'm a specialist can you help me and it sounds like if you don't know much about music and drama those videos are not music and drama drama and art those videos are quite useful explaining all the techniques and talking about all the information and then the lesson plan for somebody who is quite experienced can probably just look at the plan and go oh actually yeah that's a great resource I'll do that that and that so it's really it sounds really comprehensive can you describe the expected outcomes for students involved in these programs yeah, of course. So each workshop is actually written with its own individual aim, but the aim for the entire project, the, the big main one that we've done so far, is um, exploring and expressing feelings. So what we want each student to come out with, though, is um, sort of an overall knowledge of well-being, what it is, being able to recognise that um, in general, but also in themselves and their peers as well, so that they can support each other sort of going forward. Um, we want students to be able to recognise their own feelings and emotions, be able to give them names as well, because that will help them to communicate them to other people uh, in the future. So building those sort of those avenues of communication already by just being able to say, actually, I feel sad or actually I feel really angry. And also, ideally, why you feel like that. Um, in workshop plans a little bit later on in the project, uh, they start going into the idea of resilience again, which we spoke about earlier and also helping them to develop a bit of a growth mindset. So how they can develop in their own, in themselves and, and again, continue that communication. So I think I mentioned it before, but it really is about the process. Uh, we want students to be given the opportunity to explore and express themselves in completely different ways, but also including non-verbal expression, which comes through um, particularly in the visual arts, but there are elements of that in drama as well. It doesn't, some students will find it easier than others to say I feel like this today and this is why whereas others may find that quite intimidating or not be in the space to be able to do that so being able to use non-verbal expression and be encouraged to do so when it is appropriate is really 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 important and the visual art side of things is fantastic at bringing that out of students 
Um, Ruth mentioned the discussions as well. We think it's really important to give those students that safe space to be able to discuss what they've been doing. Um, so, you know, we've crafted those discussions, but with experienced teachers, they'll probably be able to feed off the room and, and be able to support to, to do that themselves. But they have got each workshop plan has got discussion points within that. Um, we really want students to be able to reflect on their learning as well and the idea of the safe space is really really important to be able to talk about how they're feeling with their teacher the ta that's in the room their peers so yes i hope that describes it i feel like i gave you a lot of information there rather than having just two three very basic learning outcomes <laughs> but actually the entire project and all the workshops together they as ruth said they flow and each one does have an individual aim but actually it is the overall the overriding aim is this recognition this knowledge this um safe space and this um ability to build resilience growth mindset and kind of continue to build these lines of communication because they are integral to well-being. Yeah. Um, just for someone who isn't a subject specialist in the arts, mm. how do you think art, drama, music or the arts in general do create that safe space and allow students to actually trust us and be able to express their emotions? Um, very good question, Kath. So, <laughs> um, so with um, I'll talk about the drama side of things, and then maybe Ruth can talk about the art side of things. Um, so, from my personal experience, which I did mention earlier, that I was able to exp I found through drama, I was able to express myself pretending to be someone else and that that isn't what we are doing in the project necessarily but it is giving the drama side of things gives the students the ability to put themselves um in very specific situations so for example in the first workshop we use still image and um still image the the teacher or the facilitator will say right i want you to show me what happy looks like or i want you to show me what sad looks like so it starts off very basic like that and that's quite easy for students to do because they recognize the majority of students are able to recognize that and if they're not then they can look at their peers faces and go oh yes i see that you know lips turned up that's that's happy or you know frown and head down that that probably means they're sad so already just through a very basic exercise they're starting to realize and understand what people look like when they feel different things which they probably did subconsciously before but they're now able to put names to it and start discussing it so it builds from that then into different techniques which then uh, asks the student requires the students to start talking about what that feeling might be like or when they've ever felt that before so they don't have to talk about what's happening now i at this moment at 2 30 on a friday afternoon feel really cross they don't have to say that if they don't want to but they can think about their past experience and start relating that to the moment um so drama is a really really good tool for allowing students to explore not just in the moment but think about their experience as a whole and bring that to the forefront does that is that yeah and then if they can see that emotion it helps them to build empathy over time doesn't absolutely, it absolutely it will allow them you know simple things like in the playground if they see a classmate over in a corner not looking you know with a frown and the head down they can sort of go oh yes that that's you know james over there is looking really really sad okay what can i do about it and the again the workshops the projects is the workshops you go through the workshops you we do start encouraging things i've said about resilience but also about um supporting peers and giving tools to support peers and that's very much used in the drama and art very different ways but it is it is um yeah utilized in both um subjects i guess that that idea of wait a minute how can i support other people and maybe help be positive with them and how does the way that i speak and present myself affect other people as well so again building that empathy but it can be drama is really good at allowing you to do that from personal experience or allowing you to learn that and build that as you go as well i think that's a key kind of message because we were talking about um we've said it before if you can name it you can tame it and if mm. you've got a process for students uh, you know this student might look sad this is what it looks like this is what you could do as a as another friend or a supportive member of the community and students can then do that whereas you might have a, a lot of parents who maybe don't explicitly teach that to their children so the children don't know how to express that or support their other um other you know classmates 
and you get into a situation where maybe those opportunities are missed and I think it's really important to have that framework for the students so they can go right this is this I'm going to do that and that will help that situation yeah absolutely and um Ruth's the work that Ruth did with the art side of things really complements that but works in a totally different way it's really interesting a little bit about that bit would that be a good good time um yeah, I think um, with art, it's kind of like a, a non-direct way of expressing yourself. So instead of the pressure on the words, kind of like what Lou was saying about how drama, you know, it's um, it's not so much about the words or, or you see things and then you're recognising things. Well, with, with, the, with the art side of things, it's just you don't have to worry about how you're expressing things, but you can kind of just sort of create and then reflect on thinking, oh, well, why did I choose that colour or... or um, it's not majorly analytical, but it just, I don't know, it's sort of, you know, oh, why, why am I sort of um, colouring really hard? You know, what, what feeling is that creating in me? And it just, I think it just gives another way of giving another language, I think, for some kids who, who feel it in a different way, like we were saying about how arts do, um, you can express things in different way with different, different styles of um, the arts um, in its broader sense. Um, art gives it in a sort of in a visual a visual conversation I suppose um yeah it's really hard to explain because <laughs> I'm a very visual person so you know it's um <laughs> Louise did it amazingly eloquently and I'm just like oh how am I saying this um <laughs> it is so it's so, so yeah. important all that all the different aspects of it because it does teach them to identify things and even in themselves I think that's quite important because if you can identify that you might be feeling this way because of this then it's a, a way that you can then break down that barrier and and maybe solve it or to to seek support or whatever and I think that's that is lacking in a lot of students and from experience those types of students who can't express that emotion especially particularly if it's negative they end up acting out and doing things to jeopardize the learning in the classroom so they might be uh, they might talk a lot or they might throw things or they might you know do attention seeking behaviors and you think if you understood how to express yourself properly and we could teach you in that sense that, that's more constructive then those students might actually learn a bit more and do a, you know do better in the classroom so the last question i think you you've both answered it anyway in a lot of the uh, interactions that we've had um but because schools tend to cram so much into their timetable why do you think addressing well-being is so vital i think it's it's always been really important i mean there's some really sad statistics um at the minute with with young people and and mental health issues um so i think it's kind of it was important before this pandemic anyway but this pandemic has now increased it even more because the kids are sort of absorbing so much stress and anxiety you know it might be from um you know their parents sort of they're out of work they're worried about money worried about how do i keep you safe you know, they might have more vulnerable people there's just so much anxiety around at the moment and these kids are they're only kids you know how, how are they absorbing it how are they processing it it's it's a really hard time for them so um it's really important before and it's even more important now. I know so many people are saying that, um, but you need to address well-being because you, you need, when you learn effectively, you need to be calm, relaxed and in control of your emotions. And so well-being does need to be in the forefront um, to be able to nurture the conscientious, determined and resilient students. And also this will be reflected in results, um, not just academically, but through life skills. Um, and empathy. So, yeah, Lou, did you want to expand a little bit more from a more teacher perspective? Well, I, I think this really, this question was a kind of hit home for me because I do understand the pressure that teachers are put under to deliver absolutely everything and more, if you could, please. Um, and it is really hard. And that was the last thing that we wanted to do with our project was to um, make teachers sort of be given, you know, this teacher, uh, sorry, this project may have been given by SLT and, you know, we want you to run with this, we want you to try this, but the last thing we wanted was people to start panicking and we, I understand that panic and that fear of, oh my gosh, how on earth am I going to fit that into what I'm already attempting to achieve? But, you know, the way that we've written the project, we've talked about the online version of it and 
that is, we wrote the online version first, actually thinking, well, you know, we're in a global pandemic. We're not going to be able to go into schools. We're not going to be able to get into different bubbles. That's just not practical. So that is why it is very focused on the online. But we do offer our services, as long as you're not literally the other end of the country, to um, come and actually do it for you. And we are more than happy to because that is what we do. <laughs> we would love to. And in the ideal world, we'd be doing it. Um, so there is that option as well. And that, you know, obviously that does alleviate pressure from um, from teachers. But the idea of it being really each each workshop plan being really prescriptive, actually, for want of a better word, and so detailed without going into crazy amounts of description means that you can pick it up and as i said before you know there are the teachers that have been delivering up in north yorkshire so far they have said to us we can pick it up five minutes before the lesson and just run with it and it is totally fine um, and we can do it we have the confidence to do that and that's wonderful because that was our aim so yes we totally understand the pressure that is put on to teachers time and time again and it is mounting and it, it has been for years but we don't want our work to be in addition to that. We want it to um, complement that. And we want it to be something that a tool that can be used to allow students to express themselves in different ways, boosting their mental well-being and their positive mental health, allowing them to learn better. So therefore, hopefully making teachers jobs a little bit easier later on. And that's all we want. We just want an easy, <laughs> just so that the students <laughs> oh. are receptive. <laughs> and... <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> um, if there were teachers out there at Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2 that wanted a bespoke lesson, they've kind of got an idea, but they're not really sure how to deliver it, would they be able to get in contact with you and you would be able to help them um, put together a program? <laughs> yeah, we'd love that, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, we, we just yeah yeah i just we've got so many sort of ideas and um you know you just sort of suggested something and then we're just like oh yeah we could do this about it and that about it so yeah definitely we would be very happy for the challenge of a of a bespoke option um yeah <laughs> is the simple answer we would it would be a joy <laughs> and how would they get in contact with you if they wanted more information so our website is um www.purewellbeingarts.webly.com so that's got all the information about our projects information about us where we come from our experience also it's got a bit of research on it to say why why well-being is important um it's got contact details and how to purchase the projects as well we are also on facebook under pure well-being arts we are on instagram Pure Wellbeing Arts as well and on Twitter Pure underscore W underscore Arts and also we're on YouTube as well so um, you'll find us I think <laughs> is the message excellent excellent I think there'll be lots of people that want to get in contact with you to find out more information so the more ways they can get in touch the better In Pupils Causing Concern, Hannah has been asking people on Twitter to share those words that you never thought you would say as a teacher, which I thought was an absolutely brilliant tweet. So Hannah, what are some of the people, what are some of the things people have said that they never thought they'd say as a teacher? Well, the example I used was somebody saying, stop putting pipe cleaners in your ears, which I, I can imagine doesn't really happen very often in real life, but in the classroom, it obviously happens quite a lot. Um, another person said that when a student points at the Eiffel Tower and says, Miss, we've got one of them in Blackpool. <laughs> <laughs> I remember as a child, this probably <laughs> shows how bad my geography was, but we would drive to Blackpool to watch the illuminations and my parents in the car would say, first one to see the Eiffel Tower gets a pound. And every time a pylon went past, <laughs> me and my brothers were like, oh, I've, I've seen it, I've seen it. Nope, that's another pylon. <laughs> oh, there's another, look. Nope, that's another pylon. So yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was how uneducated <laughs> I was as a child. <laughs> um, I love it. Another one from Kirsten, who came on the podcast back in season one, put uh, that she's had to say to a few children, please don't lick the glockenspiel. <laughs> <laughs> 
I wonder why those students were looking at Glockenspiel. It doesn't even look delicious. No, no, not at all. Maybe it's the metallic taste. It's like um, those people who go on a chairlift when they're skiing and they get the tongue stuck to the side because they oh, want it to yeah. lick. The me- don't get it, don't get it. <laughs> I thought they lick it because of the ice, not oh. because of the metal. Maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> Still weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, someone else has put, can you stop chewing the table, please? We've just sanitized it, which, you know... I mean, the taste of hand sanitizer or even cleaning fluid. I don't know about you, but I have my, before I have my lunch, I sanitize my hands. And when I've stopped buying lunch, that's like sandwiches or stuff like that, because you end up tasting the hand sanitizer wherever you've had your fingers and it's just disgusting. Oh yeah. I'm only eating things with cutlery and the cutlery is stuff that I've brought in from home I do actually have these amazing, this amazing cutlery. This is just a little tip for everyone. Um, It's the Sistema cutlery and it comes in a plastic container and it comes with a fork, knife, spoon and chopsticks and the container's tiny and it fits anywhere. So yeah, that comes in with me and then it goes through the, goes in with the washing up when I get home. But yeah, I make sure it's like super clean and that no one touches or comes near any of my food. Normally, that's my paranoia, but now there's a pandemic, I'm even more paranoid. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how children can lick things that don't belong to them. It's like, um, I remember having, I've got a pot of pens at the front of my desk, so that if there's any students who don't have a pen, they give me a deposit, whether it's a house key or, you know, whatever they might want to give me as their deposit, a 50p, and they can exchange that for a pen and then it helps remind them to give me the pen back at the end of the lesson and there are several students who sit there chewing the pens yeah they put them in their mouth yeah they're communal pens so their faces when I say to them do you know how many other people have had that pen in their mouth and they're like (laughs) (laughs) they just think it's so disgusting we always have that with um masks so um if you're a drama teacher or an art teacher, you'll know what I'm talking about, these plastic white masks. And we use them so that we can do like paper mache mask making. And anytime I put them out in my classroom, some kid puts it on their face. And I always say to them, that's been in here for about a decade. Do you know how many people have put that on their face? And imagine if like you, they just tried to stick their tongue through the little hole in the mouth. (laughs) So gross. Some of them don't care though. (laughs) No, that's true. (laughs) Maybe they just, you know, just don't think about these things like I do with my mega paranoia. In any other business, um, we've got a really, really great opportunity for you guys to get involved with our podcast. So in January, we're hoping to record an episode about student engagement, and we really want you guys involved. So if you know someone who's got a really great strategy and is really great at presenting themselves, tell them to get in touch with us and we want to hear their great student strategy, particularly if it's something that's really engaging during these really crazy pandemic times. So we're looking for about five people that we'd like to speak to and they're going to feature on an episode in January. So we're really excited about this because we've been wanting to get you guys involved for a really long time. Um, And if you do have any ideas for things that you would like to hear in upcoming episodes, Get involved and tell us about it. Tell us on Twitter at Non-Contact Time. You can tell us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or you can contact us directly, noncontacttime at gmail.com. Also, you need to listen in to next week's episode because you could be the lucky winner of David Gumbrell's book, Lift. Thank you to everyone that's engaged with our posts on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, So many people have entered. So we will be announcing the lucky winner next week. So make sure you have tagged, liked and shared um, our posts because um, that's the only way to be in the winning. And it's a signed copy as well. So... It's a really interesting book. It's about resilience and it's reflections to promote resilience and well-being in the classroom. So it's really interesting. David Gumbrell was on a previous episode in season two and he spoke a little bit about the book and his experiences. So if you're really into resilience and well-being, you want to win that book. It's a great, it's a great book. 
Am I allowed to enter the competition, Anna, or is that no. unethical? No, oh. you can't. It's not. It's not allowed. You'll have to buy it. <sighs> oh, that's okay. I'm up for buying it. You know, I love a good educational book on my desk because I'm a total nerd. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please keep your stories coming. We love hearing from you. And thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 